We started last week talking about the heart, and this is fitting into our discussion on wisdom, that this is kind of where wisdom lies, ultimately, is not in the mind, but the heart. It certainly requires every bit of our mind. But the heart is is the source of where this life stems from. And so we spent some time last week trying to kind of get at that. What is this heart, this will of ours that we're able to kind of turn and direct toward whatever we would choose? That by focusing the heart there, it ends up forming the rest of our life, directing, as it were, this stream that is flowing from us. And Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. I think there's a lot packed into this little verse here. <laughs> but this, this reminder of that the heart is something to be protected or to be kept. And that verse in the Hebrew is to, to set it apart, to even like sanctify it, to prevent it from being polluted or contaminated. And as I think of that, the, the image that comes to mind, um, I remember backpacking with my dad as a kid and going way up into the mountains there and, and coming to this meadow and this beautiful high meadow was right below the snow melt. And that there from that source was this little stream coming out of the ground. And I remember us going and like putting our cups to that and drinking right from the source, which you're not supposed to do when you're backpacking. You know, you're so afraid of potentially bacteria and these things that contaminate the water as it flows. But to be close to the source, to be free of those pollutants. And this is what our hearts are to be like. We're to guard the source of that water so that it flows out of us clear and clean. And this idea of protecting and guarding, what do we protect it from? Well, in some ways from ourselves. But part of it is that, that life has a way of coming in and, and sort of contaminating the flow. That some of that just happens inevitably through tragedies or difficulties in life. That, that we can, through those times, have our hearts filled with anxiety and fear and worry that that will ultimately in the end change the life coming out of us. But certainly we see as we look closer at the passage, there's a whole lot of junk that ends up in this, like the litter that can fill our hearts. And that if we're not careful, that stuff starts to back up. It starts to, you know, clog the arteries, so to speak. If we look at the whole passage in, in Proverbs 4, it says this, And I think it's helpful in understanding what we're guarding against. He says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And what you see here, that that there's a diligence to guarding your heart. It takes effort on our part. That if we don't, that, that things have a way of naturally deteriorating on their own. That, that we're resisting something when we guard our heart. 
And this Hebrew word that gets translated here, vigilance, other places, diligence, is this word mishmar. But in the context, it's mikal mishmar, with, with all vigilance. Guard your heart, not just with vigilance, but with all vigilance, as if to say, this is the thing that matters. In fact, if you're to guard one thing, guard the heart. That it's to be protected above all else. Last week we talked about how this stream of life doesn't originate in us. It's something that pours into us and then out of us. So as we talked about last week, the the beginning of guarding or protecting our hearts, it, it requires us to be open to the source of life. And we talked about prayer as that way of turning towards the true source. Until we find that source, there's like a restlessness in our hearts. I like how Augustine said that, that our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. It makes me think of this um, wonderful moment in that book, uh, The Silver Chair in the Chronicles of Narnia. And you probably remember this if you've read that book, that uh, this girl, Jill, she's brand new into Narnia and she realizes all of a sudden that she's parched, that she's like so thirsty and goes into this little wood because she hears water flowing. And as she goes in, she sees this stream that's running. And as she goes approaching it, she all of a sudden like halts and realizes there's a lion right in front of it. And then surprise, surprise, the lion speaks to her and says, if you're thirsty, come drink. And Jill wisely says, do you eat little girls? And the lion says, I've eaten girls and boys, women and men, kingdoms and empires. And she goes, well, I better find another stream. And the lion says, there's no other stream. And she says, "Um, what is it? Then certainly I cannot drink. And the lion says, then you'll die. And so this scene of Jill coming into this place, coming to this stream, and and she ends up kneeling next to the lion, and it's this sort of vulnerable moment, and she puts her face down into the water and drinks deeply and feels this incredible refreshment. And I I think about that, like turning turning towards the source. There's something about turning toward God that, that is humbling to us. And see, this is the power of the heart, is that it's able to choose. And when it turns towards God, it chooses to surrender. It chooses to humble itself. That this is the posture that opens our hearts up to the life. And to do this is to lay down our heart, or to lay down our will for the will of God. That this is what purity of heart is. And you know I love Kierkegaard, but Kierkegaard titled a whole book saying purity of heart is to will one thing. To will one thing, to turn ourselves towards the source of that and to drink is to lay down our will for God's will. And when we do this, it brings us to life. This is how life flows abundantly. And Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is what we're here to do. This is how we're meant to live, to receive this life-giving water and then to pour it out for others. 
to protect it, to guard it with all vigilance. If we don't, if we neglect it or leave it, we kind of deteriorate. And Proverbs is going to refer to this person as the sloth or the sluggard. Here's just a sample in Proverbs 13.4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And from Ecclesiastes, later in his life, Solomon writes, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. The the spiritual life, the life of wisdom is one of diligence. It's one of effort. That doesn't mean works. We're not earning God's love. We're not trying to win his favor. But certainly as we follow this path, as we guard our hearts, we do it with everything that we've got. All of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And to do this right, how do we be diligent? You know, I I think we live in a place where we are surrounded by diligent people. You don't end up in this area and live here if you're not diligent about something, right? Most people around us are disciplined people. But there's more to it than just diligence. There's diligence about the right thing. And as the, you know, our teacher Solomon tells us here in Proverbs, the heart is the thing to be diligent about. Dallas Willard in his book, Renovation of the Heart, talks about these kind of two different ways of being diligent. And the first is kind of in this way of um, self-focus, And in this way, he orders it. Do you have that slide? He says, the life away from God, the order of dominance is this, that body, mind, spirit, God. That we pour everything we have into diligence around the body. And don't we see this? I mean, we live in a very healthy community. Everybody's careful what they eat. Everybody's working out. And you go, is this important? Yes, this is so important. This is good stewardship of your body. But you realize here the ordering when that gets put first, right? I just read a statistic that we spend globally $250 billion on anti-aging products. The body first, right? Do you know how much money it would take to end world hunger? $37 billion. How much money it would take per year to end homelessness in the U.S.? $8 billion. Am I right, Rick? Rick can correct me later. But um, $250 billion investing in the body, right? Again, nothing wrong with that. But this proper ordering, this placing things first, and this is what we're getting at. In the life under God, it's about the source of that stream, yielding to that source first. Then second, protecting the will where life originates followed by the mind, followed by the body. And you see that, that subtle shift? It's, um, there's a a church father, his name was Ignatius, who would talk about sin as, um, he would call it disordered affection. 
That it's not that we're loving something that isn't lovable. It's that we're loving it too much. We've gotten it out of order. We've placed something as too high a priority. And what we end up doing is creating an idol out of it. I think it was Nietzsche that said, when we turn away from religion, what we're going to worship is health. And you go, we kind of live in that world, don't we? Again, this isn't saying that we should slack on being healthy. It's that when we make that the focus, when we turn inward, we end up cutting ourselves off from that source of life. But then so often what we do is that any life that we do possess, we hold on to and hoard for ourselves or invest in the wrong things. Jesus warns us about that with possession, saying where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So those values that we place as top priorities, we need to scrutinize this in ourselves. We need need to search our hearts. Like David says, search me and know me. Search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. And that this comes down to simple choices and habits that we have in our life. It just does. This intersects right with our day-to-day life. And what we realize is that the choice is, you know, I've said this before, Annie Dillard says, the way you live your day is how you live your life. And as I get older, I realize this. Like, if I stop flossing one night, it'll be like eight months before I floss again. Like, how did that happen? I, like, disrupted the system, right? You're, like, staying in this pattern, in these habits is how we sort of make changes. I I remember I ended up having to cancel a dentist appointment years ago, and it was like eight years later that I finally got around and somehow didn't have any cavities, which is called grace, but... um, but but when we like make these sort of shifts or interruptions in our life, oftentimes they just have consequences that extend far more than we realize. And I think he's talking about that now with our hearts to go to look inward and to say, what are the things, the patterns of our life that protect and guard our hearts? In in our passage, what's wonderful is that Solomon gives us three different sort of areas to focus on, and he stays with the body metaphor, moves from the heart or the will to the tongue, to the eyes, and to the feet. And the tongue, man, this is the worst one. This is the hardest one to get a hold of, right? James does a wonderful job. All the women that are studying James right now, you start off with this warning about the tongue that it's like a flame that catches fire. And one of the ways that we can guard our hearts is by restraining our words. Proverbs teaches this over and over. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. This idea, when he closes his lips... He's deemed intelligent. <laughs> like, like, just fake it till you make it, right? Just, just shut your mouth and you'll probably come off like your IQ goes up a little bit when you do that. Um, I like this one, Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Part of how you begin guarding this is just holding back this impulse to speak. And I think that's like constantly my my little thing. Like I get in the car after we've been hanging out and I'm like, I turn to Patty and go, did I talk too much? Right? Like 
I, I have that sort of tendency, right? Like I'll get excited about things, but like as words come out and you go further and further along, eventually you say something you regret. And it's a, just an interesting way of seeing how to guard our heart. But, but he pushes us further into that, looking for crooked words, devious words, the sort of strategies that, that happen within us. How long does it take before we name drop something or like some reference that makes us look better? You know, we, we're constantly trying to, to impress or, or create this version of ourselves and, and words are often the way that we do that. And again, it's, it's not obsessing over this, but it's being careful, being guarded. I like how Paul says, hold your thoughts captive, right? Question them. Question your own motives. The way of the guilty is devious, but the conduct of the innocent is upright. Catch yourself at those games and hold back. Restrain yourself. Second, your eyes. This shouldn't surprise any of us, right? But our hearts are affected by what we view, what we look at what we choose to look at these days, what the algorithm chooses for us to look at, right? I mean, it's an interesting thing scrolling as you're just sort of like wide open gaze, like just come at me. I, um, I think it used to be easier to do this. Now we're sort of bombarded, whether it's advertising or whatever that is. I think of, gosh, the pornography used to be something you had to like go out of your way to buy and now it's on Netflix like it's, everything's just right there and how easy to just sort of let it slide without realizing oh this this affects that source it affects my heart turns me towards the wrong things ruins my ability for intimacy so we view these things as like a sort of cheap little avoiding of responsibility when in fact the consequence remains. And I think some of this is like eating junk food where you're like, oh gosh, like one bite of that's not going to kill you, but others it's like poison. It kills your heart. We need to be so careful what we're looking at and making sure that we're choosing that. Keep our eyes focused, as Paul is going to say, on Christ. Peter is going to say, walk in his way. And I love that idea of like walking in Jesus' footsteps, learning to walk in such a way. And as we see this pointer towards our feet and pondering our path, looking for the consequences of the choices that we make, but asking ourselves where we're going to begin with. Where does this path lead what if I continue in this way? Such an important question to be asking and looking at like your life as something you want to invest in. I remember reading this short little post from, I think it was from Jen Hatmaker saying like what her evening self does for her morning self, like sets out a glass of water at night for her morning self, goes to bed early for her morning self. Part of her wants to just stay up super late, but goes, oh, my morning self will pay for it, right? And, and I thought, oh, what a great little reframe. 
When we guard our hearts, we're choosing those things that our future self is going to say, oh, thank you for that. Thank you for investing in that. Choosing to live that way. I I like, if any of you have read James Clear, he wrote a book called Atomic Habits, and he says, good habits make time your ally. Bad habits time your enemy. It's a great way of looking at it. When we're guarding our heart, this is, it's not saying like just sit there and like just eat, you know, dry toast every morning for breakfast. It's, it's going, be careful, like be cautious of what you're putting in so that you can live abundantly. Just your heart is free of like guilt and shame and the burdens that we carry around. Those things are heavy. Guilt and shame are heavy. The, the the Jewish practice was to begin the new day at sundown. And, and I thought, oh, that's an interesting idea. I was talking with a friend of mine who was saying, who had mentioned that to me and thinking, oh, what an interesting way to prepare for your next day. Like taking the evening to get ready. To, to make sure I'm paying attention to the things that are going to enrich my next day. Bring it to life. Bring my heart to life. And pondering our paths, understanding this way, it's a way of focus. I love how he's saying it's, it's moving straight. It's following the clear path, not moving to the left or to the right, but keeping our end in mind to be that kind of heart that looks like Jesus's heart. I was praying with somebody this week and, and he mentioned this and I think he's quoting maybe Jordan Peterson saying, you want to be the most reliable person in the room at your parents' funeral. Have you heard that? Is that interesting? And I was like, God, I haven't really thought about that, right? That person there in a moment of tragedy that stands there with what I would call a non-anxious presence person who's lived life well so that he's not sitting there fighting over money with his siblings or he's not in there experiencing all kinds of like deep regret or you know it's living our life in a way that we're actually in the midst of grief able to be strong for others to help others with their grief to help others with their pain that that tragedy in life is unavoidable all of us face a day like that But that pure heart, right? It's not this simple like naivete that there's strength to it. And this is who Jesus was, was somebody who loved so sacrificially, who stood his ground in the midst of abuse, who was able to pour out his life for the sake of others. And what an image of that pure heart, the strength of that pure heart that can love in that way. I want to ponder that more as I think about the choices I make. I thought that and, you know, I got a little text from my mom the other day and was quick to call her back, right? Going like, hey, mom. (laughs) I think too easily we neglect some of those things that are like the deepest to us. And yet we don't pay attention to those things. Because this is why we're here is to be those hands and feet for Jesus. I read this from Oswald Chambers. I've told you I'm reading his book on prayer. Our elder board's reading it. 
And he says that we must not ask God to do what he's created us to do. God, please comfort them. Right? And he's going, no, that's you, Jeff. Get in there. Right? Does, does God provide supernatural comfort? Yes, he does. But even when Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians, he's going to say, so that you in turn can comfort others. That that comfort is given with this sense of responsibility. We steward that comfort in order to give it away. And I love this idea. Bonhoeffer said, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. And I thought, oh, that's so good. Like we can have this, like guard my heart. I'm just going to isolate myself from the world. And you're like, no, no, no. It's about surrendering to God and then responding in obedience. That's how ultimately in the end you guard your heart. Do you avoid sin? Yes. But to make that the chief focus misses out on the greater vision that we are here to be a a pure heart and non-anxious presence that stands in the midst of the hardships of life with hope that bring that comfort to others who are in need that are able to come alongside those who are suffering with strength. Some questions for us and then we're going to go to the Lord's table. And I, Raya told me, you need to give us a challenge with the questions. So that's what I've got for you here this week. You know, Raya. Yeah, he's like, we got to take the hill. And he's right. We totally do. Um, question one, do you often leave conversations feeling like you've said too much or said something you regret? <laughs> so whoever that was, I'm with you. Can you think back to what you said that what you regret, that you regret? Why do you think you said it? Right, that's the kind of question. What, what was I doing there? Right? Understand what what is that underneath there? That that's probably the thing that God needs to continue to heal, whether that's insecurity or pride or whatever that thing is that it's nudged. And I said this week, practice choosing your words carefully. Hold your thoughts captive. See if you can speak less and listen more which often means giving others the last word, which is really hard to do, isn't it? Number two, what is occupying your focus? What are you putting before your mind? Are you choosing or just scrolling? What are the things that actually bring your heart to life? And how important that we're understanding that. What are we choosing to focus on? The things that are good and pure, things that are beautiful. I said this week, be intentional about what you choose to view. Ask yourself, is this life-giving? Number three, notice the paths you're walking and ask yourself where they lead. Is this helping me become who I would like to be? Is God asking me to become more? Where are my paths becoming too easy, too routine, too rote? I said, spend some time each morning asking God which paths to follow. Remember that he goes with you as your shepherd. What are some of the ways that help you stay close to him? To draw near that source of life, to live in that place.